0: What Paul says, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though, I, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside of the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's pray. Lord, uh... We just thank you that the scriptures uh, speak your voice to us, and I just pray um, with so much and so many of us that re- that resists the kind of demand this passage makes. I pray that you'd help us to hear your voice, um, and that you'd help us to learn from you. I pray that in Christ's name, Amen. Um, I think before uh, we can. Approach this passage before we can get a a grip on what it's about. We have to carefully think about what the church is. So just think about in your head let's pretend that I call you by name and make you come up and write your definition of the church on the whiteboard, okay? Like that teacher you hated in high school, all right? Um, What would you say? Now, we'd all agree the church, you know, it's not a building, it's a people, right? Um, the church does certain things together. We worship together. We pray together. We read the word together. But what exactly is it? Have you thought about that? What is the church? Um, you've heard lots of things about the church. Uh, you might, you've probably heard many times the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Have you all heard that before? That's kind of an evangelical catchphrase. And that's, that's okay. It's a, it gives a good point. Nobody's perfect, right? And the church is actually filled with people who, are, who just know they're not perfect, right? Um, but is that really the image you want to use? Think about, is the church a hospital for sinners who have no desire to get well? Like for a lung cancer patient who smokes a pack a day and encourages all the other patients to smoke as well? Is, that, is it the church for them? That's a, that's a question we have to answer. Um, or Maybe a little bit closer to how Americans approach church. I think, I think a lot of Americans approach church like a, like a corporation and its members are like stockholders, you know? You can invest whatever you want to in the church, as long as you get a good return on your investment. You know, like you can be as in or out as you want to, and you expect some good return. And it's a place for your voice. Um, and I'll just say, I don't know what you think about the church, but how you understand it has big consequences. And I think, I think the way we're going to be able to approach this passage without just explaining it away, or not liking what it says, is to remember the church according to the scriptures. Is the purchased, pardoned, purified people of God. Let me just read you a passage from 1 Peter about what God has said about the church. This is in 1 Peter 2, if you want to look it up later. Uh, 1 Peter says, You, plural, okay, you, plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. And just think about all the language there is about how special and particular and unique the church is. Uh, Later in 1 Peter, uh, Peter will call the church the flock of God. And Jesus will say this in John 10. He'll say that that, uh, God's people are God's sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. He leads them. He protects them. He lays their life down. God's people are his sheep, his flock. Jesus even says that, you know, when the wolves and goats come, he protects his sheep. And in Corinthians, we've seen some language like this, that the church is the temple of God. It's God's building, God's field. But just notice three things about the church that all these descriptions have in common. First, the church belongs to God. All right? We don't, we don't determine who we are okay we 're not autonomous in how we define them. the church is God's it belongs to him second the church um, is a community so it's not individuals who come together the church itself is one unit it's a community East Cooper is one church um, and third the church is set apart from the world it's holy it's unique all right so I haven't gotten first Corinthians five yet um, but I think I think we have to We have to think about what the church is before we dive in. But let's go ahead and dive in. Here we go. The first thing this passage demands of us is that we radically pursue the purity of the local church. The people who are in the church, the people who make up the church, that together, not the elders and pastors, okay, but everybody here, that the community pursues the purity of the church radically. All right. Um, And that is very offensive. Um, when it gets down to the details, but look what he says, verse one. Okay, the Corinthians are tolerating, all right, uh, a sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among pagans, and that is that a man has a sexual relationship with his stepmother, which again is a crazy, scandalous sin. And most likely, what what had happened is the Corinthians had some. Some group, at least there's a significant group in the church that knows about this. They know it's going on and they're doing nothing about it. They're just letting it happen. All right. And uh, and what's really interesting is what's not in this passage. Do you notice how Paul does not call the guy out or tell him to leave? In fact, he, he doesn't talk to this guy at all. He talks to the church. It's the church's responsibility to take care of this. It's their, it's their fault this has happened. Um, the church has been given uh, the responsibility and the authority um, to guard its members' lives. So here's the command in verse 2. Uh, the command at the end is, let him who has done this be removed from among you to, to, to for lack of a better a uh, kinder word, to kick this person out, to not allow them to enjoy the blessings of the church, to not let them be around. This is uh, said clearer in verse 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan. Now, that's a, I think that's an image here. That's not exactly, that's not a, we're not talking about like a, the reverse of an exorcism here, okay? Uh, I think the idea here is like, Colossians 1 says that believers have been delivered from the domain of darkness and given to the kingdom of Jesus. And the idea here is that um, the church is the place where God's protection and blessing is, and the world is the place, in a real sense, that the evil one rules over. The church is the place where God's blessing is. And so the idea of delivering someone to Satan is, is saying, you're going back out there now. You're getting removed from the blessing of God's protection and of God's people. Um, and that is, uh, that is very, very strong. That is very offensive. That's difficult to think about. Um, but look at why. There are two reasons here. Look at verse 6. We'll do that one first. Uh, Paul says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, we don't have any bakers in here, do we? No? Okay, well, everybody in, uh, in ancient times would have baked daily. They would have known about leaven and bread. But leaven is a little bit of substance. It's like, it's like yeast, okay? You put a little bit in dough, you mix it up a tiny bit, and all of a sudden the whole lump is leavened, and it, the, it makes the dough rise, okay? Okay. Um, and the idea here, the leaven here that Paul's talking about is evil behavior. And what he's saying is, a little bit of leaven, one person living in sin that's tolerated, leaven's the whole lump. You know, People, people start to get tempted by this guy's lifestyle. They start to say, well, the church doesn't care, so why don't I do this? You know? Why am I struggling with sin and he's not? Like, I, I should just give up. So the first reason is, this protects. It protects the body. It protects the weak people in the body. It, 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 keeps, it keeps the church from being a place where people are encouraged to sin. It, it, it's a loving act to the church. And it's not just a loving act to the church. It's a loving act to the person. Look at this. Verse 5, okay? Delivered this man to Satan for destruction of the flesh, okay? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, when I was a high school student, I wasn't a believer, but I was a, stup- I was a stupid high school boy like many, okay? And one night... Uh, Actually, several nights, but one night I got caught sneaking out of my house to go hang out with my friends, okay? Um, My dad called me at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh my gosh, my life is over. And it was for about two months, okay? I was like super grounded. It was like, Leland, you can drive to school and drive home, and that is all you're allowed to do. You will go sit in your room, like no fun, no TV, no nothing, and you will do your homework. That's all you're doing for like two months, okay? They took everything away that I enjoyed, why? Because they're mean? No, because this, we're not going to tolerate this. Like, you are not going to lie to your parents and sneak out of the house. You're crazy. And um, it's, it's, it's corrective and restorative. It's, it's to change me. for. The, if I, my parents know. If I continue in that pattern of disobedience to authority, it's going to wreck my life. And so they give me some difficult, hard consequences, taking away my fun. And I think this is the same idea here. Um, The church is a place of blessing, guys. If you've been involved in the church your whole life, you have no idea how sweet it is to be around people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And some of you guys get this. You go to your workplace and there are no Christians around, and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is dragging me down. This is terrible. Well, the idea here is someone who lives in gross sin, who's polluting the body, okay, you send them back out there so they know they're not allowed to have the blessings of the church while they're living in open, gross disobedience to God. They have to learn the hard way, in a way. Uh, There's a book I love by Sheldon uh, Van Hawken, it's a very difficult name to pronounce, but he said uh, the book is entitled A Severe Mercy, and it's the first half of the book is about his love story with his wife, and they just had this crazy love story like out of the movies, like not real life, okay? You read it and you're like, oh my gosh. But uh, three or four years into their marriage, his wife died, I think, of cancer, um, and, as he processes his grief, and at the very end of the book, uh, he gets a letter where his friend C.S. Lewis, he was friends with C.S. Lewis, okay, told him uh, that this act of God was a severe mercy. It was a, uh, um, a gift to him. He, uh, and he said this later, like, I, I, I wouldn't have really walked with the Lord if I'd had my wife. She was, it was just that great. You know, we wouldn't, I wouldn't have really pursued God. And so God centered, you know, gave, gave her eternal life, gave her to heaven, you know, but what he gave me was a severe difficult hard mercy in the long run it was good for my soul and the idea okay as offensive and as the sounds okay kicking somebody out of church not letting them be here because of their lifestyle okay um as as that sounds all right um it is a merciful thing um and there's a kind of a more and there's a, a specific application okay to the Corinthians and to our church is when we have someone who's a member here who claims to be a believer and to love Jesus and they're living in the kind of sin that pagans think is crazy. They're living in open, unrepentant rebellion against God. That's clear, okay? They're embezzling millions of dollars from their business, right? They're doing, all, they're doing terrible things, okay? That as a, as a body, in love for them, in love for everyone here, that we remove them from our midst. Pray for them hope for restoration. That's the application, okay? Uh, I think a couple more specific ones though, unless, you know, unless you're someone living in open rebellion or you're, you know someone, uh, a couple more tangible things I want you guys to think about. Uh, first is um, you personally um, should submit to the authority of the local church. I think particularly um, by joining the church now that's, that's a, what, how, how, do you get, how do you get there, Lewin? Oh my gosh, you know, um, but, uh, and if this is your first Sunday, I'm not saying you have to join here just because you're here, but um, here's the thing, you, you, you guess what a define the relationship talk is, okay, when people are like, have, is that y'all's culture or is that, okay, yes, okay, good, okay. So, uh, you know, Sally likes, Sally likes Johnny, okay, and for like three months it's like unclear, okay, and at some point you have to have the DTR, define the relationship, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And, and until you have it, until you have that, you are not dating. You're just kind of, I don't know what you're doing, okay? And, um, and some of you guys in here, all right, um, you need to have the DTR with your local church, right? And, and I know some of you, I, I've, heard, I've heard the objections. Well, if I'm already serving, if I'm already involved, I'm already going here, I'm doing more than half the members are anyways. Why do I have to join? You have to join as a, as a public act of submission to the authority of the church. God, God has given He's given the church the authority and the responsibility to care for its members. Um, and don't just submit to that authority. Uh, participate in it. Again, this is such a freeing passage. This does not say there's nothing in here about an elder. Do you, all, do you all see that? Or a pastor or a leader, okay? This is about the body of the church. You guys are responsible for each other. You know? Your roommates addicted to something they shouldn't be, Confront them. I'm not saying we kick them out of church. That's, I don't, it may not be that kind of sin, but confront them. Like, care for people around you enough to love them. Um, and there's a, more, uh, there's a more general principle here that is a little, a little dicey and tricky. Uh, it's the second part, verses 9 uh, to 12. All right. Um, Paul, had, Paul had previously uh, written about this issue to the Corinthians. They misunderstood it. He said, I wrote to you, uh, this is verse 9, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, The Corinthians heard that, and they were like, well, you've never been to Corinth before. People are immoral everywhere. I can't go anywhere without people being immoral. What should I do? Um, And Paul says, I didn't mean at all the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would have to go out of the world. In other words, some of you guys can't even get into your apartment at home, right, without walking by people who are idolaters or greedy or whatever, right? They're everywhere at your workplace or wherever you are. you're surrounded by, he he says, but, um, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, which is a a first century term for Christian, who who claims to be a Christian, who says, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, okay, who claims the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or reviler or drunkard or swunder, not even to eat with such a one. That is, that is rough, okay, Um, but let this, let this, Let this just blow your mind for a second, okay? Paul the Apostle would would have you, okay, get coffee with your transgendered barista who does not claim, who's an unbeliever. He would have you welcome that person into your home. He'd have you get that, that drug dealer downtown Charleston that you just see, okay? He'd have you welcome that person into your life and love them. At the same time, your friend who claims to know Jesus and who's sleeping with his girlfriend, all right, he would have you shun them for their good. well, that blow your mind for a second, right? That's a little little crazy. Um, But it makes perfect sense though. Um, Love looks different in different situations. Example, uh, sometimes uh, I will just randomly buy my wife ice cream. That is a loving thing for me to do. She likes it, okay? If I were to randomly buy a one-week-old infant ice cream, okay, that would not be loving. In fact, it would be very dangerous for a little baby to eat ice cream, all right? Um, Giving your cash, all right, cold, hard money to uh, the disaster relief efforts in Florida or Texas would be an act of love. Giving your cash to a homeless man who's an alcoholic would not be an act of love. Does that make sense? Love looks different depending on the circumstances, and so, the idea here uh, for the church is we should welcome the world. Welcome the world. Man, I, I hope this Sunday school class is a place where somebody can just come off the street, and disagree with everything I say, and say, but man, you know, they, they were kind of nice in there. They loved me. You know, I felt like they cared about me. Um, we should be a place that welcomes unbelievers, that loves them, that welcomes them into our lives. Um, at the same time, we should guard the flock. People who, people who claim to be believers, people who um, are here, who are members, we should guard their lives. I hope that's been clear. If not, we can uh, talk about it in just a minute. Um, but I just want to take, back, take, take a step back for a second before we finish the passage and just say that this is extremely difficult. This is your first Sunday. I'm not going to apologize for what this passage says, but I'm going to say it's not always like this, okay? We're not always doing passages like 1 Corinthians 5. Um, and there are two things that are really difficult. First is accepting that this is okay. You know, we live in a culture that says the meanest, worst, most horrible thing you can ever do to somebody is say, I don't approve of your lifestyle. Especially if you don't just say that, but you put some muscle behind it. That's, that's the, that is the sin, the only sin really you can commit in American culture, is saying I don't approve of you. And so this is just hard for us. You know, we live in a... We, we like, and it, for me, guys, personally, man, I, I'm a very non confrontational person. You give me a Bible and some people to speak to, I'll, I'll confront people. But, like, you give me someone sitting across from me at a table, that's difficult. And some of you guys are like that. Most of y'all are like that because you're Americans. We don't like conflict, we don't, we, don't like, we don't like the messiness it brings. So, this passage is very difficult. It's very difficult to accept and to practice. Um, but Paul grounds it in the gospel. This is kind of an amazing. Uh, difficult uh, metaphor here at the end, but he grounds this command to protect the flock and to lovingly discipline people in sin in what Jesus did for us. So let's look. Look at, uh, look at verse 6 again. Okay, We've already been there. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of sin can mess up the whole church. All right, um, But look at what he says in verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. All right, if that confused you the first time I read it, uh, it confused me for the first, like, 10 years I was a Christian. So don't, don't feel bad about that. Um, We're going to take a step back and go to the book of Exodus really quickly. Just hear me, okay? Don't, don't turn there, okay? And if you haven't read Exodus or Genesis, I'll just say sidebar. If, you need to read the whole Old Testament eventually, but those two books you really need to read if you're going to understand the New Testament. But story of Exodus, really briefly, okay? God's people are slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh will not let them go. God sends Moses. He gives him power. He, he, he does great wonders and many plagues through Moses. Pharaoh still won't let them go. So after all this patience, God says there's one more plague coming. All right, Every firstborn in the land of Egypt will die. And then Pharaoh's going to finally let you go. So uh, he tells, uh, Moses says this to Pharaoh, then he goes back to God's people and he says, "Here's what you do. Tonight, take a lamb, slaughter it and put its blood on your doorpost." So take the blood from the lamb and literally put it in front of your door. All right? And when the plague comes that kills every firstborn, it's going to pass over your house. That's why it's called the Passover. All right? That happens. Okay? And this, this is a crazy image. While the firstborn of Egypt is di- everyone in Egypt is dying, God's people are in their houses behind the blood, having a party, eating a feast of unleavened bread. Okay, And, uh, and after God did that, and he saved them, and, and that last thing got them out of Egypt, got them delivered, okay? After God did that, he told them once a year to remember this incredible crazy act by having the feast of the Passover and by only eating unleavened bread every year. So, um, that's kind of the background uh, to this passage. Um, but look, he says they really are unleavened, that the Corinthians, uh, in light of Jesus being their Passover lamb and shielding them from the wrath of God, they are, in spite of all the nasty stuff going on, in spite of all the ridiculousness that is in their congregation, they, as an, as an, their nature is pure. They are pure. God has called them pure. They are sanctified, like 1 Corinthians 1.3 says, you are the sanctified ones. You're holy in Christ. Um, And they're holy because Jesus, their Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. They are unleavened because Christ, like the Passover lamb, and its blood shielded God's people from the plague. Jesus' blood poured out on the cross shields them from God's wrath over sin. It protects them. And... uh, Now, in light of that, there is a celebration. Look at verse 8. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, referring to the Passover festival. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Uh, In other words, uh, the Christian life, uh, in a sense, is a party. It's a celebration of what Jesus has done. It's a celebration of the deliverance that comes through the work of Christ. And how do we take of that party? Just like the, just like the Jews ate unleavened bread, our lives should be the unleavened lives of sincerity and truth. But to celebrate Jesus, okay, to celebrate Christ as, as an act of worship in your life is to live a life of sincerity and truth. And so... Uh, I'll just say really quickly, man, if you're, if you're living a double life, if you're living in sin, claiming to be a Christian, what it looks like for you to celebrate Jesus is to come clean about that, to have a true life. And if you, if you know somebody who's living, who's living a double life, what it looks like for you to celebrate Christ is to help that person. Whether it's just a you know, confrontation. We don't start with church discipline, right? Whether it's a confrontation, whether it's encouragement, whatever it looks like, celebrating Jesus looks like helping them. I'll just close, uh, I'll close by saying something that I think Paul is getting after, okay? Uh, sin ruins the party, all right? Just imagine for a second, okay? Uh, and I've had this longing before, and I, th- I think you guys have experienced this. Have you guys ever had, like, moments or evenings that just seemed to go perfectly? Like when you were, you were kind of freed from yourself and kind of freed from your inhibitions, and you were just able to enjoy and like everyone's like, it's, it's the one night when everyone's like laughing at your jokes, you know. And they're like, you know, be nice, like, like it just things are just going well, you know. I don't, you're, you're on a roll or something. Um, and 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 those moments are wonderful, and they're like glowing, you know. Or may, maybe maybe uh, maybe life here is rough, but when you go see your family, it's a good dynamic there. It's enjoyable. You can relax. You can be yourself. Okay. All right. So imagine, uh, imagine you're having one of those nights. All right. And in walks. One of your friends or family members uh, late with, I don't know, alcohol in their breath, and they are in a rage, okay? You're sitting, maybe you're sitting at the table playing Settlers of Catan, my favorite board game, okay? It takes hours to play. It's fun, though, okay? And uh, they fall on the table, all right? Flip it over. Everyone's food and drinks gone. Your Settlers of Catan mad run, gone, okay? All of it's over, all right? What's the first thing that happens? Well, the party's over. I don't care what you do after that, okay? Like, the whole night is ruined, All right, Um, and I think the first part of this—I mean, that's what sin in the church does. That someone living in open rebellion to God that everyone knows about, that no one that no one is is doing anything about. Okay, that's what it does to the church. It crushes its life. It destroys the celebration of Jesus. And again, if if that happened, okay, what is what is the most loving thing you could do to your family member or friend who just ruined the party? At some point. You would say to them, man, we love you. We want the best for you, but do not come back like this. You've got, you got to protect the people who are there. You've got to protect them. You know? And in doing that, you preserve the joyfulness of the group and you allow the possibility for repentance. So this, this is difficult, but I think it's the Lord's will. So let's pray and then we can talk through a little bit more. Uh, Father, thank you um, that you have called us to be your people. And that um, we just have the privilege of being the sheep of your pasture and um, parts of your temple. And I just pray, Lord, that you would show us in tangible and practical ways what it looks like uh, to preserve the purity of your church. Uh, we, we just pray for people in this room or, or in this church who are living secret lives, that you would convict them. Um, pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.